You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning to you. I hate to start with apologies, so I'm not. I'm going to do it. How's that? Yeah, I am a little diminished, but I'm not going to apologize for that. I will acknowledge that. So if I won't shake your hand later today, you understand that I'm doing it because I don't want to share the love with you. How's that? So open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, we return for a third time to this text this morning. It's our third time in this text. And as we do, we are attempting to draw out the meaning and significance of this very popular yet frequently misunderstood text. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Why don't I read it, and that will at least um, put it fresh into our minds. Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, or my preference, by the Spirit. Now, we're doing this in outline form through a series of questions. You'll remember, I said we have ten. We're kind of interviewing the text under a series of ten questions, and we've gone over a number of them so far, just to remind you. These questions are to help us to understand and to live under the influence of the Spirit. The first question we looked at a couple of weeks back was, why is this study so important? Why is this study so important? And the reason the study is important is because it's impossible to live as Christians without the Spirit's enablement. It's as simple as that. It's impossible to live as Christians without the enablement of the Spirit. That's why this study is so important. Secondly, we looked at this question, why warn about wine? Why does Paul warn about wine? And we spent a fair amount of time with this, and we noted that there is a point of contact here in this verse drawn by Paul, and the point of contact is between drunkenness and the filling of the Spirit. That's the point of contact, between drunkenness and the filling of the Spirit. The state of drunkenness leads to dissipation or debauchery. The state of being filled by the Spirit leads to a godly life, a godly life that manifests itself in both the church, the home, and the community, which is what Paul picks up beginning in verse 19 and carrying all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9. So I have not lost sight of the target. This is uh, going to be about marriage and parenting, but We have to lay some groundwork. We've got to have a long enough runway to get this thing off the ground before we launch into Paul's particulars. And so that's what we're doing here. Okay, But it's impossible to to live in a way pleasing to God without being filled by His Spirit. And the state of being filled by the Spirit leads to this godly approach to life. That's Paul's point of contact. That's what Paul wants you to see. He's, making, he's not making the contrast between wine and the Spirit, as some think. Okay? That's not the contrast. Wine and the Spirit is not the contrast. Third, 
Third question, and this occupied ourselves last week. The third question, what is the filling of the Spirit? That's the third question. We spent a whole session looking at that one. What is the filling of the Spirit? And we spent time in Greek grammar, which some of you came up to me afterwards and told me how delighted you were. Um, but you were few in number. <laughs> Understandably so. Understandably so. But we spent the time working through the Greek grammar, and we learned that Paul's use of the word filled, plerao in the Greek, here in, in Ephesians 5.18, indicates that the Holy Spirit is the means of the filling, not the content of the filling. He is the means of the filling, not the content of the filling. Therefore, uh, I am of the opinion, and not alone in this, that the uh, better English rendering of 5.18 would be to be filled by the Spirit rather than with the Spirit. That preposition, Greek preposition, N, can easily be translated by with or in. Those are all common within its uh, semantic range. So, I think by it does better justice to both the grammar and the flow of the text. Beyond that, we learned last week that the command, the verb, to be filled is a present passive imperative. Present passive imperative, and that indicates that Paul is not giving us a command to fulfill our, ourselves, but rather to be continually placing ourselves in a position to be under the Spirit's prevailing influence. We said a more literal translation would be being filled, would be a literal way to translate the Greek there for us. So, to put ourselves continually, the present tense verb, in a position where we are under the Spirit's influence. That's the idea that Paul is um, <clears throat> urging upon us here, commanding us. Okay, so that's all review from last time. Now, let's launch forward here with the fourth question. The fourth question. How is the filling different from the Spirit's other ministries to the believer? How is the filling different from the Spirit's other ministries to the believer? Well, let's begin. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Salvation is of the Lord. And the means that brings about salvation is the Spirit and the Word. It is the Spirit and the Word that brings about salvation. The Holy Spirit regenerates spiritually dead hearts and floods them with saving faith in response to the hearing of the Scriptures. Romans 10.17 okay? So Spirit and Word are the means by which salvation comes. But the Spirit's ministry to the believer does not end there does not end at the moment of salvation. In fact, it opens the door to a vast and wide ministry. So, at the exact moment we trust in Christ for salvation, the Spirit begins various activities or actions. He becomes our seal or the mark of God's ownership that authenticates us as children of God. So, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. The moment of salvation, the moment we trust in Christ for salvation, the Spirit becomes our seal. The idea is like a, a signet ring impressed into soft wax. Okay, That kind of an idea. It authenticates. In the, in the ancient world, it authenticated a document. The Spirit's sealing authenticates us 
as children of God. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. I'll pick it up in 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He seals us. So, the Spirit does this sealing by indwelling us. So the Spirit seals us, and He does the sealing by indwelling us. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. Okay. He indwells us. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We become a dwelling of God in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 speaks of this. 6.19. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? He indwells us. Okay? He indwells us. And this, un this indwelling of the Spirit acts as a pledge or a down payment or, if you like, an engagement ring. And its purpose is that it guarantees our future fullness of redemption and ensures us that we are children of God. It guarantees it to us. Right? It guarantees it. We will remain a child of God forever because of the down payment or the pledge of the Spirit. So when a young man gives a young woman an engagement ring, the purpose of the engagement ring is to vouchsafe to her that he will fulfill his word and that he will, he will wed her, he will marry her. Okay? So he gives her a ring as a down payment or a pledge. And the same idea here in the Spirit. Ephesians 1.14 so in him, verse the end of 13, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. And if you look in your marginal note, you'll see down payment is another possible rendering there, okay? So, he is a pledge, he is the down payment, he is the certainty that what has been begun in you, God the Father will bring to its full fruition, all right? These activities are, are a consequence of saving faith. They all come to us. We don't ask for them, we don't have to seek them. They come to us by God as a consequence of placing saving faith in the risen Savior. Now, this is all distinct from the baptism of the Spirit. This is distinct from the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is by which the glorified Christ 
by means of the Holy Spirit, immerses the believer at the moment of their salvation into the body of Christ or the church. So that's a separate function of the Spirit, okay? The baptism of the Spirit. So <clears throat> we see this in um, probably most classic passages, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. All made to drink of one Spirit. So, the glorified Christ, by means of the Spirit, immerses the believer into his own body, the church. Right? We're placed into the church by the baptism of the Spirit. Again, it's not something we seek for. There's no commands to search it out. It comes to us automatically as part of our uh, inheritance uh, um, that we receive in Christ by union with Him. All right? These are the ministries that are of the Spirit here are bestowed upon every believer at the time of salvation. They are instantaneous and they are non-repeatable. Right? So far, so good? All right. Furthermore, there is no command for the believer to obey regarding these ministries. There are no commands to obey associated with any of these activities of the Spirit. And the reason is, is because they are part and parcel of the new covenant gift of salvation. The new covenant is is vouchsafed through the Spirit, right? He is the uh, mediator of this new covenant. All right? we, we live in the age of the Spirit in a very unique way. And so there's no command to obey regarding the baptism, the pledge, the indwelling, the seal. It all comes to us as part of our inheritance as children of God in union with the risen Christ. Not something we are commanded to do. There's no doing involved in any of this. So far, so good? Okay. So, Paul explicitly says, if you are not indwelt by the Spirit, then you're not a believer. So, if you're not indwelt, you're not a believer. This, This differentiates. The believers are indwelt. Those that are not indwelt are not believers. We see this in Romans chapter 8. And verse 9, Romans 8, 9, where Paul says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So it's as simple as that. If you have the Spirit and these ministries of the Spirit, which come automatically at the moment that we have placed saving faith in the risen Savior, then you are a child of God, and he has vouchsafed it to you through his Spirit. If you do not have the Spirit, you're not a child of God. You're not a child of God. Now, this is different. All of what we've been talking about here come to us without, without solicitation, without anything on our part. They just come. They are invisible as well. Probably should say that, right? You can't really see it. The Spirit blows where he wills. We can't see him, so it just happens to us. This is different than the command here, back in Ephesians, I'm back now in Ephesians 5. This is different than the command 
in Ephesians 5.18, to be continually filled by the Spirit. There we have a command. That is a command. And it is different from the command that we looked at last time as well in Galatians chapter 5, where we are told in 5.15 and 26 to walk by the Spirit. That is also a command. So to be filled by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit are commands that are given to the children of God or something that we are supposed to do. Before that, it is just who we are. It's who we are. This all working for you so far? Good. All right. So, um, as one uh, one commentator, Harold Honer, writes, and he has it, by the way, if you're interested in, in Ephesians, he has a magisterial commentary on the book of Ephesians. And he says, and I'll quote him here, he says that it is, um, this, these commands to be filled or to walk by that indicate they are not automatic bestowments at the time of salvation, but injunctions for every believer to follow continually. Okay? So they're not the automatic bestowments. The automatic bestowments are the indwelling, the sealing, the pledge, and uh, the filling, and um, excuse me, the uh, baptism and so forth. Okay? But these are something we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do it not once, continually. It's a continual command for us. Perhaps I can illustrate it for you this way. Okay? Let's try an illustration for you. Think about it this way. A new child, newborn child shares his parents' DNA from the moment of conception. All right? But... He learns to live out his family identity as he grows to maturity in the day-to-day circumstances of life. So he shares the parent DNA from the moment of conception. We share the Spirit from the moment of, if we want to call it this way, being born again. But as a child learns in the day-to-day activities to live out the family identity, so we learn in the day-to-day to live out our new identity in Christ. Right? Paul says that we are new creations in Christ. Okay? That's in principle, and it has to be worked out in practice. It has to be worked out. Okay? We all good? All right. Well, let's move on to another question then. Question number five. Who does the filling? Who does the filling? Since the Spirit is the means by which we are filled, then the obvious question is, who does the filling? Who does it? And the short answer to the question is Christ. That's the short answer. It's Christ. He is spoken of as the one who fills the believer. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. And take a look at verse, uh, well, pick it up at 22, but 23 is the, the verse we're after. And he, that would be God the Father, put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, we're talking about Christ here, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all the fullness of him who fills all in all. Or chapter 4 and verse 10. 
He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So, the short answer is the one who does the filling is Christ, the risen Christ. So, chapter, that's question five. That one we can deal with pretty quickly. So that takes us to question six. You might think, man, we're rocketing through this. We're going to finish quickly. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Some questions take longer to answer than others. So, question six. Question six. What is the content of the filling? What is the content of the filling? Now, to answer this question requires us to link together a number of Paul's statements about fullness in the, what I call, sister epistles of Ephesians and Colossians, right? So they're both prison epistles, and they are written, and there is a fair amount of overlap in the topics covered, and they are, as it were, twin sisters, Ephesians and Colossians. So we're going to need to pull together and take a look at some of that. So, let's see. Uh, Ephesians one twenty three again. Statement about fullness. So there it is the church as the body of Christ that shares his fullness. Okay? His body, uh, which is his body, the church in, in verse 22, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all, Paul says. Let's see, in Colossians chapter 1, and verse 19, we read, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. There the reference is to Christ again. It's the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness dwells in Christ. And in chapter 2 and verse 9, Uh, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So, how can we conclude? We can conclude that the divine fullness is perfectly found in Christ. The divine fullness is perfectly found in Christ. So, as the church, his body, we share his fullness. The divine fullness is perfectly found in Christ himself. Back to Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 19, this is Paul's second prayer here, whereby he closes out the doctrinal section of his letter, and he says, And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So Paul prays that the believers would be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now this is a reference, not simply to the Father, but to the triune God himself so that we would be filled up to the fullness of the triune God. Now, this prayer forms the hinge of the book of Ephesians. What's a hinge do? A hinge is something that enables a door and a frame, a jam, to meet together and the door to swing on it, right? So that's what a hinge does. So this is the hinge of this book meaning that the doctrinal section of the book ends at chapter 3, and the duty section, or how do we live out the theology, begins in chapter 4 and runs through chapter 6. 
So this prayer closes the hinge section. And then the book begins to turn in chapter 4 to Paul's treatment of Christian ethics and morality. It turns to Christian ethics and morality, beginning in chapter 4. And so why do we point that out? Well, it's because that it is by um, our living a Christian in accordance with Christian ethics and morality that we model God's fullness. This is how we model it. So there in that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God, and then a couple of verses later, Paul begins to urge upon us how we are to actually live in the shoe leathers. And in the shoe leather, we then begin to model God's fullness. So we can put it all together here, and we can conclude that the fullness of the triune God is the moral likeness of God. That's what Paul's driving at. It is the moral likeness of God, which is most clearly expressed in the person of Christ. So what is the fullness of God? It is his moral likeness. Where do we see it most clearly expressed? We see it most clearly expressed in his son, in his son. And we are predestined, right, Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of that son. We are to conform, we are predestined to be conformed, to be brought into the moral likeness of the son who perfectly exhibits the moral likeness of God himself. So, as we are filled by the Spirit, we grow in the likeness of Christ to maturity, and we become what Paul calls the fullness of Christ. Take a look at chapter 4 and verse 13. Well, let's pick it up in 11. Okay? And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of God, or excuse me, of Christ. So this, this likeness is called the fullness of Christ. And again, this comports very well with Paul's emphasis on Christian morality and Christ likeness in the later part of the second half of this letter to the church at Ephesus. So, for example, in chapter 5 and verse 25, notice for husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the emphasis on Christian morality here is expressed in terms of a likeness to Christ. Men, we are to be like Christ in these things. This is a, this is a moral um, uh, likeness, okay? That's being that's being uh, urged upon us. And um, as I've said, chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians, and chapters three and four of Colossians are both the sections of the book that are devoted to Christian duty: how to live it out, how to live it out. So, what is the content of the filling? It is the likeness of the triune God in a in His moral reality. His morality. So, the quote here from Daniel Wallace in his uh, Greek grammar, which I again would suggest to anybody who's interested in such things. Believers are to be filled by Christ, by means of the Spirit, with the content of the fullness of God. And I would just insert there that the content of the fullness of God is his moral likeness. His moral likeness. So, 
We are to be filled by Christ, by means of the Spirit, with the moral likeness of the triune God. That's what's being commanded of us. Okay? And just think about this for a minute. If we all lived our lives in the likeness of the moral character of the triune God, what a great place it would be, huh? Don't you think? How many... Uh, we'll, we'll root it right down into marriage because we are headed there eventually. How many marriage problems occur because we're not living in the moral likeness of God? Instead, we're actually living much more like the likeness of the old man that we habitually drag around with us. Okay? So this is a very practical thing. Very, very practical thing. All right, question seven. We got time. Question seven. How do I fulfill this command? All right? How do I fulfill the command? Understand what it is now. I am to, to be being filled by the Spirit in, in conformity with the moral likeness of the triune God. That's, I get it. That's the target. That's the bullseye. I'm shooting for it. But how do I do it? How do, how do I get her done? Well, we've established that Paul is commanding us to be continually placing ourselves, so notice that, to be continually placing ourselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit by which Christ will change us into his image, make us like him. The question that naturally arises is, how do I continually put myself under the Spirit's influence? That's the question. How do I continually put myself under the Spirit's influence. I understand that that's what I have to do. I understand that's the secret. That's the key that opens the lock. That's the path to, as we could say it, the, the, the victorious Christian life, if you like that kind of terminology. <clears throat> but how? Do I pray and ask for the Spirit to fill me? Right? Oh, Lord, just fill me. No. No, you don't. There's no instance in the New Testament where believers ever prayed for the filling of the Spirit. Right? There's no instances of believers ever praying to be filled with the Spirit. The answer to this is found in the parallel passage in the, in the twin sister of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 16. Okay, so let's go over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's go to the twin sister. And take a look at a parallel passage because it will unlock this for us. 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving or thankfulness excuse me, in your hearts to God. Uh, 17 as well. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 18, wives, be subject to your husbands, fitting the Lord, and so forth. Okay? So, to go back to Ephesians 5 here, and just notice. Where he says, not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks, 
for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, and so forth. So you see, they are parallel passages. They're dealing with the same basic ideas, but they're using a little bit different terminology. And I am sure glad that the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul as he wrote the sister letters to use some different language because it helps a lot. It helps a lot. So, now we do not fill ourselves. We've already said that before. But we are commanded to be receptive to the Spirit's transforming work which is the same as letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's the same thing. Say it again. We're commanded to be receptive to the Spirit's transforming work, which is the same as letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word dwell literally means to be at home in. To be at home in. So as one commentator says, it is one thing for the believer to be in the Word, it is another for the Word to have free access to all parts of him. It's pretty good. Say it again. It is one thing for the believer to be in the Word, it is another for the Word to have free access to all parts of him. Now the implications of this are far-reaching and profound. Far-reaching and profound. In order for the Word to have free access to every room, every closet, every nook, every cranny of our lives, we must both prayerfully immerse ourselves in the Scriptures and consistently allow the Spirit to use those Scriptures to shape the way we think, the way we feel, the way we react to things, and the way we respond to life's circumstances, right? How do I fulfill the command to be being filled by the Spirit? The answer is, I immerse myself in the Word of God. Because the Spirit and the Word always are found side by side. They work together. And so as I immerse myself in the Scriptures, prayerfully surrendering to the Spirit, under the Word, those aspects of my life that need change, Then he does his good work, and the filling occurs, and my moral likeness to the triune God grows. It's a process that takes the entire life until the Lord takes us home and we're glorified. But until then, it is a process, it's a lifelong battle, and as we gain a measure of of the likeness of Christ in one area, it's just revealed to us how far short we fall because we just see other areas where we are also in need work. So you never rest on your laurels uh, in any of this, but it's a recognition that this is the process. Okay? So when we put it all together, we can see that Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit is an extremely practical command. Extremely practical command. It's a command that regards the day-to-day Christian spirituality lived out in community. It's lived out in community. I just uh, go back and take a look at verse 19. Okay, we're going to actually we're going to look at 19, 20, 21. I think next week. I think maybe if not then, then the week after. But anyway. Notice that this is a statement about community. So it begins first in community. Speaking to one another. Speaking to one another. 
So, being filled by the Spirit, that is, being conformed to the moral likeness of the triune God that occurs as we regularly, daily, humbly, prayerfully submit ourselves to the Scripture, shows up in the Christian community, in the one another's of Christian community. You can tell a church and it is making progress in, that, in this because it is a church in which the love of the brethren prevails. You can see a church in which this is, they are not making progress in this when you come and are part of a church that is constantly fighting with one another. Okay? It's a very practical kind of thing. So, beloved, every time, every time we're confronted with a provocation or a decision or a temptation or a setback or a success, we're in that moment faced with a choice. Will we respond according to our new nature in Christ or will we respond like the old man Adam who is bound in sin. That's really the choice that it comes down to. You will face this decision today. You probably already have faced it, okay? But assuming you all got here somehow in a perfect state, I can just tell you this, you will face this decision today. Probably before much more time elapses. And the question will be is, how will you respond? Will you respond like Adam? Will you respond like Christ? The decision is yours. The decision is yours. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.